I would like it if you could turn to the book of Luke chapter 19. And we will continue our series on the character of Christ this morning. I would like to talk about how Jesus saves. Jesus saves. So let me read to you this really great story in Luke about this really quirky, fun guy named Zacchaeus. Um, And uh, in chapter 19, verse 1. So follow along if you have a Bible or a device or whatever you use to read your Bible. Uh, Verse 1. Uh, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through, and a man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy, and he wanted to see who Jesus was. But because he was short, I identify with that. I don't know. I just had to stop there. Sorry. (laughs) Some of you guys are like, been there. Like, I know. I know this guy already. Um, But because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see Jesus, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. And all the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be a guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will repay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. That is God's word. Let's pray. Lord, I believe that that is such a beautiful like, summary of what you've come to do. You've come to seek and save the lost. And um, there might be a few of us in here that you're after, that you're going after, seeking to save us, Lord, um, or to save us again from our folly, from our um, waywardness, uh, maybe even ignorance, or pain, or hurt, or our experience just from last week when we had, we had received communion to this week when we receive communion again. There's been a whole world that's happened, a whole life, almost lifetime that's gone on, and there's so many experiences that have gone on in this room, and Lord, we are asking you, come and find us to save us, Lord. Do that this morning. Uh, Teach us by your word, and um, I submit all of my mind and heart and capacity and emotion and all this stuff that's going on inside of me to you, and I ask God that you would teach us and lead us and minister to us by your spirit and make us ministers of reconciliation where we today are also a part of the ministry that you're doing, that we would go up to people and pray for them and minister to them. Do all this in the glorious name of Christ. In your name, amen. Amen. If you are new to the Bible and if you're new to Jesus, you might ask yourself as you're reading through the Bible, Uh, in a year, why are there four gospels? Why are there four of them? Why not just one super gospel that tells the story of Jesus, like a modern biography would tell the story of Jesus, where it starts with like his family of origin and his birth, and then his life, especially his teenage years, because we really want to hear about those, and then as it moves on to his ministry, and then his death, and so on. Why doesn't that happen? Why do we get glimpses of it, and why does every gospel tell about the same story, but tell it differently? And there are a lot of complex answers to that question. The simple answer that I'll give this morning is that each gospel writer is telling you the true story of Jesus as they emphasize a different thesis or a different central message about Jesus. 
Every gospel writer is telling the true story of Jesus, but they are emphasizing um, a different central message about Jesus. For example, last week we looked at the book of Mark, and we said that the book of, that Jesus' message in the book of Mark um, was that the kingdom of God has come near in Christ. And that was the message. Jesus starts off, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Jesus was bringing in the kingdom of God. I said that another way of thinking about the kingdom of God is the rule of God because we don't think in kingdom language. So it's like Jesus was bringing in the rule of God. So wherever Jesus stepped, the rule of God would order or reorder that thing. It would be like, we use the example of everything being a frozen winter. And Jesus, everywhere he stepped, spring would happen. Like things would come to life uh, cold winter would melt away and life would begin to happen. And that's how Mark tells his gospel. Mark um, says that the gospel of Jesus is the bringing in or the breaking in of the kingdom of God. Luke has a different emphasis. Luke's gospel emphasizes how Jesus came to seek and save the lost. So Luke emphasizes Jesus has come to seek and save the lost. That is the summary of Luke's entire gospel. It's actually right here in chapter 19, verse 10. It says this, the son of man came to seek and save the lost. This is almost like a summary of everything that Luke is telling you in his gospel. And this is Jesus summarizing it. Jesus has come to seek and save the lost. And so Luke's gospel, if you're reading it, pay attention to the lostness of Luke's gospel, how he talks about how Jesus goes after to rescue the lost people. Actually, in the middle of Luke's gospel, we have the famous lost parables, the parables of the lost things. If you've ever read this or have heard of this before, in Luke chapter 15, Jesus tells three parables of lost things. He says, the first parable the kingdom of God is like uh, um, a shepherd having a hundred sheep and one of them goes missing. He loses one sheep. And so what the shepherd does is he leaves the 99 sheep and goes after the one sheep. He leaves the 99, goes after the one. You're like, that's bad math. Like, you don't leave 99 to go after the one. Like, but, but Jesus is sharing the heart of God. Like, there's one lost sheep, and I must go find it. And then the very next parable is uh, the parable of the lost coin. It tells about a woman who has 10 coins and loses one coin. And this woman is a bit, almost seems senile, because she rips the house apart to find the one lost coin, and then throws a party when she finds it that costs probably more than the lost coin. I don't understand it. It's almost senile. And, and... Like, if your neighbor goes, I've lost a coin, but I found it, I, and, and I, I roasted a pig, would you come over? You're like, what? No, this is really creepy, and I'm not going to your house. Um, it, but it, all, it almost feels like that, um, the way that, that Luke is telling, or that Jesus is telling these stories in Luke. And then the, la the last parable is the parable of the lost son, or we know it as the prodigal son. It's... Uh, father has two sons. Now, notice it goes from 100 to 10 to 2. And the father has two sons, and one runs away. And the father waits and waits and waits and waits for a son to wake up and come to his senses. And when the son does, the father goes after him and tackles him and kisses him and puts a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet and throws a party because his son was lost, but now he's found. When Jesus is telling these stories... He is talking about how when things are lost, it means that God is going after them. 
When things are lost, God is going after them, or that God is waiting with desperate anticipation and reuniting with the lost thing. Think about that. When something is lost, God is waiting with desperate anticipation for reuniting, reconciliation, or he's going after the lost thing. And what Jesus is saying in parabolic language is that when people are lost, it means that God is coming after you. And these stories are not so much about how things get lost or how people get lost. He's not saying, okay, the sheep got lost because the sheep was wandering and he found this and he kept on walking and he kind of ditched him. He's not telling you how things get lost. He's not telling you why things get lost. He's not even telling you how not to get lost. He's not heaping judgment on lost people. He's saying, these stories are about this. When things are lost, the character of God is to go after lost things. By things, he means people. When things are lost or people are lost, the character of God is to go after them. And Jesus calls these things and these people lost because God wants to find them. If God didn't want to find them, they would not be lost. They would be forgotten. Like, we have all lost things in our life. And, the, and we've also forgotten about things. And there's a difference between things we lose and things we forget about. The things that we forget about have no real value. We misplace them and we're like, oh, I, I lost that thing, whatever. And it's not, it's not, it doesn't feel like a loss to us. And then we find them and we go, oh yeah, I forgot about this. That's not how we are. That's not what it's saying about lost things. When you lose something of value, you go after them. You turn over the house to find them. You retrace every single step that you have and you think hard, where did I last put that thing? And you go and you put up signs and fly, or you do whatever it takes. You post on social media, I lost this thing. If you see this thing, let me know. Like every, if, if it's a value, you go after to find it. God calls lost things lost because he's going after them. Lost means that you are loved and, that God, and you are missed and that God wants you back. And so the summary of this is in Luke 19. It says this, the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. Now the encounter that leads to this summary of Luke's gospel is an encounter with a rich, powerful, short man named Zacchaeus. This is like the summary Luke's summary sentence comes, is, in, is like couched in the story of Zacchaeus. And the story of Zacchaeus starts with curiosity. It says in verse three that Zacchaeus wanted to see who Jesus was. He was a very curious person. Now, um, Zacchaeus was, it says here in the text that he was a, a chief tax collector, um, which meant this was a really, really, not, this was not a good profession to have if you were, uh, if you're Jewish at this time. It meant that he worked for the Roman government. The Roman government was the occupying powerful force in Israel at the time. It meant he worked for the Roman government, so he was a traitor. As a Jew working for Rome, he was a traitor. And it says that he was a rich tax collector, which means the only way to be a rich tax tax collector was to extort money from your own people. So you would inflate taxes owed with all the power of Rome behind you, and then you would line your own pockets with inflating taxes on your own people. Think of um, the Sheriff of Nottingham, but the cartoon Disney version, the best version out there on that one, right? <laughs> Think of him, right? So he goes to the blind beggar, and he goes to the blind beggar, and he's like, you owe your taxes. He's like, I'm begging, I'm begging, and he like hits the bottom of his cup and grabs 
the money from the beggar's cup. Like that, that's, that's who Zacchaeus is. He's, he's robbing his own people to line his own pockets. It's like that. And there's no doubt that Zacchaeus was hated. And hated people are often hardened people. They have to be hard. To be that rich and make that much money by making people angry, you have to be hardened. So you're talking about a, and he probably had a short man complex as well, I'm guessing. I'm just, that's just, I think, I just, my observation from the text, it's just a short guy with like a short man complex and um, whatever. Anyway, um, that doesn't mean that Zacchaeus wasn't curious. He heard Jesus coming through town and he heard that Jesus was coming through town and he just wanted to see who this guy was. Simple curiosity. Maybe this simple curiosity was something like a powerful person who admires another influential person. And he's like, I re- this guy's influential, I'm powerful, I just wanna see, I wanna get a glimpse of who this guy is. But Zacchaeus' curiosity shows us something. Zacchaeus' curiosity shows me something that I have found to be true the more people that I know. And it is this. Lost people, like Zacchaeus, lost people have these momentary glimpses or momentary realizations of their lostness. Lost people, somehow, some way, through circumstances of life, will wake up to the fact that they're lost where they realize how far off they are from who they wanted to be. Where lost people long for the day when they will be reconciled with people that they've lost. Or how long it's been since they started working for the change they wanted to see in their lives. Or when they ask if there's anything beyond uh, this world beyond the consumption of food and things and stuff and people. Or if there really is a God out there who loves them. Lost people are curious about what it would be like if they were found. I found that to be true. It's like that song um, that I quoted to you a couple months ago off the 1975 album, um, the song, If I Believe You. And the lead singer says, and if I believe you, will that make it stop? If I told you I need you, is that what you want? I'm broken and bleeding and begging for help. I'm asking you, Jesus, show yourself. Like maybe Zacchaeus was humming that song as he was trying to get a glimpse of Jesus. Like that sort of thing was going on in his heart. And this, I think, I believe this is what happens to lost people. They have this sort of resonant song in their heart going, what if I was found? What if I was brought home? But he couldn't see Jesus because he was too short. And this is very funny, you guys. This is very, this is Bible humor. And you should laugh when you're reading this. You're like, okay, that was pretty funny. Like he really wants to see Jesus, but the crowd is in the way. He's too short. And it almost has this childish quality to this, this whole story. Like you would almost imagine Zacchaeus trying to push through people and people are like, Zacchaeus, like, I know who you are, get away. And then he would just get knocked over and he would try to climb over somebody and they push him down. He'd try to crawl between their legs and they would close their legs. Like, like it's that sort of thing. He's trying to see Jesus and he can't get through the crowd. And they probably know who he is. They're like, you're not getting through, you're not gonna get ahead of me here. You're not gonna, you're not, you're not gonna do it. And it's not just funny, it is funny, it's ironic. And it's ironic because in some crowds, Zacchaeus stands pretty tall. He's the chief tax collector. He's someone to be feared. 
But in this crowd of everyone trying to see Jesus, he's not tall enough. But Zacchaeus is determined. And so he goes ahead a bit and he climbs a tree. He like climbs a tree. Now this might seem cute, like, oh my gosh, this is so cute, what a funny story, climbing a tree to see Jesus. I mean, that's a, it is cute, it's a great story. Um, but, but the reality is the men of his stature didn't run in public, let alone climb trees like little children. Like just didn't do, men, men didn't, and, and this, especially men of his stature, didn't do this. Have you ever um, been to a Warriors game or seen a Warriors game and, uh, and right after uh, Stephen Curry uh, shoots his like tunnel pregame sh- warm-up shot, you have all these kids that are hanging over the rails yelling at him to sign their gear. Sign my hat, sign my thing. Okay, so you, see, you have the scene, it's super cute and Steph, Stephen starts and he signs all these kids' jerseys and whatever. Can you imagine if our mayor was right there? Like if Mayor Ed Lee was hanging over the rails next to kids, Stefan, sign my hat, like freaking out, screaming. And all these kids are like, get away. Like, get away. Stefan, like screaming. You'd go, that, okay, that is, that's okay for kids to do that and some very weird adults. But men of his stature do not do that. That, it would be on the news. You know it would be on the news. And would be like, talk about humiliating. This is weird. This is, what was go- this is what was going on here. Like, men of that stature didn't do that sort of thing. They didn't climb trees, hang on to trees to see Jesus. Like, that is not what happened. So, the, with, with things like this, the biggest barrier to coming to Jesus is often our pride. It's often our dignity. We don't want to be one of those Christians who cries and like sways to music with your hands in the air singing songs that are like would not make the radio or whatever, you know? Like I don't want to be that. I'm not going to be that. I'm not going to be that Christian. I don't want to let go of my dignity. I will not. And maybe you're here. You have not kneeled in like four years of being at this church. You're like, I did that my first three years and I cried on the carpets. I haven't been there in four years. I just don't do that. That I have dignity now. Like I... I remember when I was at, when I, I was going through that much stuff in life where I would actually kneel before God, but not, not anymore. I have too much dignity for that. Like the, the thing, the biggest, the, the biggest hurdle, the biggest barrier in coming to Jesus is often our pride and our dignity. We don't want to be that guy or that gal who is so in need of Jesus that we kneel or that we admit that we don't have the control. We don't have the power to control our change. We don't have the power to change. We don't, we don't have it. We don't want to be that. Our pride and our dignity get in the way of that. So, I mean, say what you want to about Zacchaeus. He was willing to look childish to get to Jesus. I mean, I remember, I just imagine him hugging a tree limb, just like, I just want to get a glimpse of Jesus. Last week we talked about people crossing barriers to get to Jesus, and they didn't care what barriers they had to cross to get to him. This is another story of that. And what happens next is often what happens next when we come face to face with Jesus. Zacchaeus gets way more than he bargained for. He just wants to get a glimpse of Jesus. And then Jesus points him out, calls him by name, and invites himself over to his house. Like, that, that's what he does. He's like, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. Just when you say Zacchaeus, he's like, how, okay, how did he know my name? And, and he just called me out in front of a crowd, and I must stay at your house. I imagine everyone looking up at him. Zacchaeus is holding on to some, like, big limb on a tree, and he's hanging there, and he's, like, looking like a kid, like a, just a short man in a tree, and looking at Jesus, and Jesus says, I have, I'm going to stay at your house today. 
and he gets way more than he bargained for. He's like, I, I, just, I was just here to get a glimpse of you, and now you're coming over. Jesus' invitation here to stay with Zacchaeus is the only time Jesus invites himself into someone's presence or on their premise. This is the only time in the Gospels that Jesus invites himself over, and it's right now. I must come stay at your house today. And Zacchaeus welcomes Jesus gladly. But look at what the crowd does. Look what the crowd does. All the people saw this and began to mutter. So people saw that Jesus was going over to his house, that he had gone over to his house. We don't really know the timing here. Either at that moment they saw or the fact that that, that really happened, Zacchaeus got down the tree and they went over to his house. But all the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. Now, whenever the crowds or the religious leaders mutter in the Gospels, something interesting is always happening. It's like a clue to tip us off to there's more beneath the surface here. There's something else going on here. And what's going on here? When the crowd begins to mutter, oh my gosh, I can't believe that Jesus has gone over his house to stay. I mean, this was actually language of going to stay at his house for an extended period of time. He wasn't just going over for a meal. He was going over for a meal and to, st- and to stay at Zacchaeus' home. What is this cluing us into? What happens here as soon as Jesus asks to stay at his, ho- at his home is that the hostility of the crowd shifts from Zacchaeus to Jesus. So the crowd doesn't like Zacchaeus. I mean, every, it's, he's a chief tax collector. Everyone knows him. Everyone despises him if you're Jew. It goes from we hate Zacchaeus to what the heck Jesus. It goes to like despising Jesus. They are mad at Jesus for eating and going to live with such a person. Now, I'll say this next thing and I don't mean this to offend anyone per se. Um, I just want to show you how offensive this act might have seemed to the crowd at the, the crowd's point of view. When we read the story, we're not offended by it really. We're not offended by it. We're like, oh, Jesus goes over to a sinner's house. That's awesome. I love Jesus. He hangs out with sinners. Um, But when you actually look at it from the crowd's point of view, it's scandalous. Oftentimes, we take the side of the marginalized, but we forget that all of Jesus' mealtimes were scandalous. And this is what it's like. It's as if during an anti-police violence march in Charleston, Jesus stops and says to a police officer, I wanna stay at your home. And not just any police officer. A police officer with a track record in the community of abuse towards the black community and extorting the small businesses of that community. And Jesus stopping to ask this police officer, I want to stay at your home. Now, do you like what Jesus did? Most of us are like, no. Oh, that's what he did? Are you kidding me? That is not okay. You don't, you, that's not what you, there was a, a movie that came out a couple years ago called The Equalizer with Denzel Washington. Um, this movie's bad. And, um, <laughs> and uh, Denzel, basically the same thing, goes into cops that are exploiting a poor community, like extorting them. And all you want to happen is Denzel to beat them up, to say it nicely. And he does, and it's awesome. If Denzel walked up to them and said, hey, um, can I stay at your house? And can we hang out? And can I show you mercy? That, that, first of all, I don't think anyone would watch that movie. I wouldn't watch it. 
I'd watch it and go, Denzel, I mean, come on, man. You, got, you can't do that. But this is exactly what Jesus does. I mean, this is not a political statement. It's not an anti-police statement. It's like a pastor trying to get the congregation to fill what, what's going on in this invitation. We would probably say, Jesus, what are you doing? You have come to preach to the gospel to the poor. He's not poor. To the oppressed, he's the oppressor. To the weak, he's the powerful. You can't do that to him. You're here for the poor, the weak, the oppressed, not him. But Jesus shows him mercy too. Jesus shows this tax collector mercy. Jesus, and what happens in this story is that Jesus takes the scorn and the hatred that's directed towards the tax collector onto himself. They hate the tax collector, but then all that scorn goes right to Jesus. And what we're told about the Messiah in the book of Isaiah is that is exactly what the Messiah will do. The Messiah will take the scorn that's heaped upon us and take it upon himself. Read Isaiah 53. That is what's going on there. All the scorn and the shame and the despising that belongs to us and and all these different ways that we oppress and all these different ways that we enslave and all these different ways that we hurt people, all that scorn is directed to Jesus. If you've been a part of the church for any length of time, You are used to the gospel going to the oppressed and the poor, and we hear that all the time, and we agree, and we love that, and that is so beautiful about Jesus, but Jesus himself pushes the boundaries to whom he shows mercy. He pushes the boundaries even beyond what you and I would allow or even want. He shows mercy to an oppressor, a person who lives and works from the center of power to exploit the weak. Jesus shows him mercy. What a savior. He goes after him. Jesus says, this man is lost. And by lost, I don't mean forgotten. I mean that he is loved and I want him to be found. I want Zacchaeus to be saved. So Jesus goes to be the guest of that kind of sinner. We would call him a sinner, but but not the good kind of sinner. We would call someone who extorts like that, not the good kind, not the kind that you and I would like want Jesus to go and save, but Jesus does. And look how Zacchaeus responds to Jesus. Zacchaeus says, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. What happens here is repentance and restitution. Repentance and restitution. I think we we understand repentance. We talk a lot about repentance in the church. We don't talk that much about restitution, about making wrongs right. Zacchaeus is so deeply changed by the mercy of Christ that not only does he say, I repent, but he goes, I will make it right I will go, he, he says, if I have cheated anyone out of anything, it assumes that he has. It assumes he's repenting, but not just repentance, restitution. He wants to make it right. He gives half away, and giving half away under Jewish law is way more than is generous. It's borderline insanity. You do not do that. You can be generous, you can give away a percentage, but if you give away half of what you have, that's insanity. He says, I'm gonna give away half of everything I own, not just my money and my savings, not money in like my, 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 my third savings account, 
Like everything I own, I'm cutting it in half and I'm giving it to the poor. And then I'm paying back four times the amount for the extortion that I've caused. That's double the penalty. You, do you, when, you, when you extort, you had to pay by law twice the amount. He said, I'm gonna pay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna put myself under a double penalty. And here's the point. When Zacchaeus lets Jesus in his home, he lets him all the way in his home. All the way to the deepest parts of his life where he had done the deepest wrong and where the deepest healing needs to take place. And when Jesus gets there, when Jesus gets into like the deepest part of Zacchaeus' heart, then Zacchaeus is free. Then Zacchaeus is saved. And then Jesus uses this word here. I love this. Jesus says, when Zacchaeus says, I give it all, I'm going to give half, I, I, I'm going to make it right. Jesus says, today, salvation has come to this house. Salvation has come to this house, meaning not just like his home, but his life. Like Zacchaeus today is, is showing signs of being regenerated. A new heart, a new life, salvation, Jesus says, has come to this house. And look at the signs of salvation. When there's salvation that happens in our lives, when the saving power of Jesus gets a hold of us, there becomes financial promiscuity. Like we're just promiscuous with our money. Like the, we get so close to the generous, gener, generosity of God that God makes us generous. It's like we can't keep our wallets in our pants. It's like, no, I gotta give. I got, no, 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 I gotta give. No, no, I, God has done such a work. No, no, I, I, I'm gonna get it. Who, who, who has need of it? Yeah, I'll, I'll give. Like that sort of, when someone is financially promiscuous, you're like, something's changed. When we're sexually promiscuous, everybody's like, oh, yeah, yeah, that, yeah, what, yeah. Who's not? But when someone becomes, there's a lot of nervous laughter. There, when someone, <laughs> there was really weird nervous laughter. <laughs> when someone becomes holy in their sexual life, but promiscuous in their financial life, you will look at someone like salvation has come to this house. Like there's something you, you've, you've, compl- you've changed. Something has happened deep, and this is what happens to Zacchaeus. He becomes free. He's like, take my stuff. I'm free. It doesn't own me anymore. I'm free, and I want to make it right. And that's the second thing, too. When the saving power of Jesus gets a hold of us, there's a need to make things right. It's not like this, you don't move on and say, well, that thing I did, it's covered under the blood of Jesus. Move on. No. I mean, yes, but no. It's... Some of us have to call people whose lives we wrecked and do everything that we can to make it right because you've wrecked people's lives. And you, I'm, would you, I've been, and you don't have to like do the whole preachy thing just like I, I want to say I'm sorry. I'm sorry for what I've done to you. I'm sorry for the way that, 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 and I, and I, and I, I feel like I, I did a lot of damage and I want to, and I want to ask for your forgiveness. They might not offer it. They might not say, I don't forgive you. They might say that. They might say, well, I don't forgive you. And that's something that you have to, like, seriously, honestly bring before God. But there's that change that happens where I want to make it right. What do I do to make this right? Because I want to make restitution. I just don't want to repent and go, oh, I can just move on? I could, you're saying that Jesus gives me a free start where I could just like forget my past and then move on? Like all the damage I've done is move on, all happy-go-lucky? 
No, make it right. But please understand, this is, understand the order of grace in this story. Understand the order of grace. It's very, very important. Does Zacchaeus say, I'm giving away everything, and Jesus says, okay, now I'll come home with you. That's not what happens. Jesus says, I'll come home with you, and Zacchaeus says, and you know, Zacchaeus hasn't even really repented. He's on the tree still. And, Zacchaeus, and Jesus says, Jesus, Zacchaeus, I want to come home with you. And Zacchaeus hasn't even repented yet. I mean, the evangelical thing to say here is that, you know, but we have to invite Jesus into our lives. But here, Jesus invites himself into his life. Like, Zacchaeus wasn't going, Jesus, would you come stay with me? I want, I'm going to invite you into my heart. Like, no, Jesus is like, hey, I'm coming over. And Zacchaeus is like, oh, okay, okay, let's, let's do this. I, this is awesome. Come over. Jesus does not say, if you clean up your life and stop extorting and cheating, I will come live with you. Jesus says, I'll come live with you. And Zacchaeus says, okay, I'll stop cheating. I'm, I'm going to come live with you. And okay, I'll, I'll stop. I'll, I'll be, I'm changed. I, bringing the life of God, the salvation of God in, I'm changed. That's what's going on here. That Jesus says, despite your sin and your past and even your present, I want to be with you. And that changes Zacchaeus. That itself, that grace, that mercy, that seeking and saving the lost, that going after this person that you and I would probably not go after. You and I would probably go after the sexually broken people. You and I would probably go after the the, the poor and the oppressed, but this oppressor we probably would not go after, but Jesus goes after him. And it changes him. And he makes, he repents he opens up his wallet and his life to people. He becomes hospitable to Jesus. He, 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 makes, it, he makes restitution. That I, I feel even saying that sits pretty heavy in this room. I think that some of you guys think that once I become a Christian, I just, I just cut my ties with all my old stuff and move on. And I, 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 might, I believe even there's, God is inviting himself into your life in a way he's like, go make that right. Because you've been changed by the gospel, go make that right. As much as in your power, go make that right. Because what you did there, you, 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 pro- you did a lot, of, a lot of hurt and a lot of damage in that person's life. So, but let's, as, as we, as we kind of close here, let me, let's imagine a, like a, an alternate ending to the story. Let's imagine um, how it could have gone. It could have gone in something like this. Jesus comes over to Zacchaeus' house. Zacchaeus hosts Jesus. He thinks Jesus is great, has a wonder, thinks that Jesus is a wonderful dinner guest, a fun conversationalist, has some very interesting, interesting things to say about spirituality and life with God. And after a couple days, Jesus leaves. And Zacchaeus like, says bye to him at the door and says, Jesus, we should do this again sometime. I feel like I'm I'm like, I'm a better version of me when I'm near you. You bring like peace into my house. Thank you. Goodbye. And end of story. That, imagine that alternate ending. That, I think that, that might sound familiar to some of us. I mean, that's, that's basically how we treat Jesus. Jesus, you, for like a couple hours on this Sunday, oh man, it was so good. And we, I, I sang these songs and I prayed these things. And, well, that was great. You made me feel a lot better. Well, see you later. Thanks for hanging. That's, that's it. That's the alternate ending. 
It's not like we, that's not what Zacchaeus did. Jesus comes close to Zacchaeus and Zacchaeus brings Jesus all the way in. Not just to his house, but to his heart, his gut, his center. He brings Jesus all the way in. And I, I, wanna, I also wanna point out that what Jesus said to Zacchaeus, and I think this is important, and, and, I, and I, if, if I've earned any of your listening trust, listen to this. Jesus says, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. I must stay at your house today. I want, I want that word today just to sit for a second. Today. I must stay at your house today. The clarity that you have today is not guaranteed tomorrow. The proximity that you have to Jesus today is not guaranteed tomorrow. The invitations of Jesus right now are not guaranteed tomorrow. And here is why I say that. Because of human nature. We get good at whatever we do. If we ignore the light, we will get really good at ignoring the light. If we ignore the invitation of Jesus, we will get really good at ignoring the invitation of Jesus. And eventually, we can't even hear the invitation anymore. And soon enough, we are no longer singing, and I'm asking you, Jesus, show yourself. We stop singing that. But if we respond to the light, there is more light. It says in Hebrews, today, if you hear his voice, turn. Today, if you hear his voice, turn to him. There is something about the immediacy of what Jesus is calling Zacchaeus into. Because Zacchaeus might not have that opportunity tomorrow. If he doesn't say yes to the invitation of Jesus, that invitation could go away. And it could look like Zacchaeus just not, not climbing up on the tree the next day. Just going, yeah, I've, I've done that. Not today, I'm too busy today. I'm not gonna climb the tree today. Yesterday, maybe. Today, no. If today you hear his voice, if today you are sensing the invitation of Jesus in whatever capacity, whatever that looks like, respond to that. And so I want to sit with this question for just a second. In what areas of your life do you sense Jesus inviting himself into? What areas of your life do you sense that Jesus is inviting himself into? In the book of Revelation, Jesus is talking to the church when he says, I stand at the door and I knock and whoever opens, I will come in and I will eat with them and they with me. Like, there, I, I do believe that Jesus is wanting to invite himself into people's lives today. It's not us going, I'm gonna invite Jesus into my heart. No, Jesus is like, I need, I want into this thing and I want in all the way and I want you to take me in all the way to the deepest part and all these areas that you're like pushing me out of and all these areas that you don't want me in. I want into those areas. I want in, into, your, into your life, into the very fabric of your life, the way that you live your life. And I want all the way in because when Jesus comes in, he brings salvation to those places. He saves us from these things. And so as we close, I, I just want to sit with that question for a bit. If you would, um, bow your head with me as we just sit silent for just a second.
Holy Spirit, come, Lord. I believe that you are, there's all these invitations that are happening right now, ways that you are asking in, and I sense that some people in here feel like this is super silly, like almost they feel juvenile right now, like it's um, high school youth camp on like the last night of camp, and like I'm not doing this again, I'm not going to go there, I know, like I bring you in and I have this emotional thing and I'm just it's juvenile, I'm not doing it anymore, I'm sick of it. And I just really sense that's going on right now and, and, and I don't know, some people's hearts right now, just the, the, the absolute childishness of this whole thing. And I wanna pray right now for that childlike, if even childish sort of faith of Zacchaeus that would throw away, aside our dignity and throw aside our pride for a second and just open our lives to yes. I'll receive you with joy, Jesus. You want in, you can come in, and I receive you with joy. And so, Lord, we wanna say yes to the invitations of Christ today. Holy Spirit, I pray you would minister and make us ministers right now. Pray that we would respond to you if we have, if it's just been too long since we've opened areas of our life to you that have just been calloused. I pray if we hear the voice of God today, we would not grow hard. Our hearts would not grow hard. Spirit of the living God, fall on us right now. We ask for salvation to come in. I, I ask if anyone here, Lord, they're not, quote, saved, meaning they have not received Christ. They have not said yes to the invitation of Jesus or whatever, however they would say that or phrase that, I pray that today they would, that today salvation would come. And so, Lord, I pray that we would respond to you now. In Jesus' name, amen.